podcast unmute, doesn't it? Welcome to the Man O'Clock Show, the podcast that tackles men's mental health with more gusto than your morning organic soy decaf chewing latte and pure side effects than your old man's Route 33 aftershave. I'm your host, Nick Mayer, your Sherpa through this mountain rage of life. The guy your dog admires and your cat, well, he thinks everyone's overrated, not just me, but we're not here to talk about cats. What a show we have planned today, and yes, it is another pilot, I do apologise. To some extent, I do have a bit of a ponchon, is that the right word? Anyway, I do have a affliction with anything with wings, and I'm excited to be talking to Kevin Humphreys today, a war veteran, a retired lieutenant colonel in the Australian Army, Aviation Division. He flew Blackhawks, Chinooks, he even led the army equivalent of a squadron. An absolute remarkable man and an absolute gentleman. He is a keynote speaker around the world. Uh, recently was in the US uh, delivering a range of keynote speeches, really talking about his, I've <laughs> gone blank, his story. And very excited to be able to talk to him and drill down into his PTSD that he suffered through after his return to Australia and the dark depths of depression and his road to recovery. And look at him go today, one of the best speakers in the market and an absolute delight to speak to. So I'm looking around the foyer at the moment trying to find him. So we'll grab him in a sec. Hopefully this... Other intro music will finish in a minute, or I could just stop it right there. There we go. I see Kevin across the room. He's walking, walking in. So let's go get him. And we've found Kevin, Kevin Humphreys. So let's just get you in the elevator. Bing. All right, mate. Over to you if you're elevator pitch that is the coolest elevator sound i like it but it does sound it does sound like a cash register but it I, does i'm do, gonna get find a new one I, I do like the elevator sound um yeah. nick mate it's uh great to see you and uh we we love catching up for a hot chocolate or whatever it is but a um, ho-cho a ho-cho yeah yeah that's right uh, real men drink hot chocolate you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do i do these days well you know, I spent 20 years flying army helicopters uh, around the place in various parts of the world, uh, flight instructor and a commander and whatnot there. And uh, Then I had a, a mental health crisis, um, not because of the war zone, but because of the workplace. Yep. Uh, and that, that end effectively ended my army career. Uh, but I got back on my feet, got back in the air again, and then spent another decade as a search and rescue helicopter pilot, a chief pilot, an examiner and, and all wow. things. And... Uh, and then one day, this really amazing coach got me to start, uh, got me to, um, she asked me a question of what I was hiding from her. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, no, nothing to see here. And, uh, and she said, oh, I'm pretty sure you're lying to me. She was very forthright, and, <laughs> which was good. And, uh, and I'd given her permission to be very forthright uh, as well as part of the coaching agreement. And she said, if you don't tell me the truth, then we're not going to be coaching anymore. Yeah. And um, anyway, one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I was bawling my eyes out, telling her my secrets of um, contemplating taking my life and mental illness. 
Yep. And um, and then, again, the short version from there is that I ended up talking about what had happened uh, for me uh, in, in front of a group of people. And one thing led to another. And now I'm an international keynote speaker. Been to the US, New Zealand, uh, spoken globally uh, through through Europe and Asia and whatnot uh, online and around all parts of Australia, talking about uh, the lived experience of uh, of, of a mental illness mm. uh, and leadership, and particularly what I call noble self leadership, yep. uh, and that is being selfish to be selfless. Yeah. So yeah, that's well, uh, that's, that's, that's the, the that you've set a record, mate. That's the longest elevator pitch we've had yet. That's that's pretty. <laughs> Man o'clock towers has just grown by about eighty stories, so that's um that's awesome. Let's um <laughs> let's help oh, cash register elevator door. There we go. Let's get out of that. So thanks, mate. That was a good good intro into the life of Kevin. Quite a a long career in the in the military and, and flying helicopters, and now you you're making a real a real difference in the mental health space. The thing I like about your story is that you're you're not afraid to talk about it. You, that element of vulnerability is quite open for you. And I think that's something that resonates with a lot of your audiences. Of here we've got this army veteran helicopter pilot that faces, well, was facing death on the battlefield and, and the side of cliffs winching people to safety to being so open and vulnerable about your your mental health battles. So I think that's something pretty significant for me anyway, which really resonates with me. So really glad to have you on the show today so can we talk a little bit more around your personal journey with with mental health around that time that you realized that you you had a, a problem and it was getting the better of you and and how you were able to share that with with other people yeah the, the, the simple answer up front is i sure as hell wasn't sharing it with anybody at the start um yeah. and i wasn't sharing it with a soul um to start with and you know, if, if I if I look back with the benefit of hindsight, I can see that uh, there were little indicators coming along years earlier and um, like a, a panic attack when I went into a shopping centre to get a loaf of bread wow. and a uh, completely involuntary physiological response sort of threw myself against a, a glass shop front. Um, didn't smash anything, but just pinned myself up against the glass shop front, not because yep. I consciously did it, but because mm. my body just did it my brain did it yeah and embarrassed confused didn't know what was going on didn't tell anybody about that mm. um and and fast forward time in uh, in iraq driving a vehicle off the back of an aircraft um really fast forward to into the um into the acute stages of it and me and my wife knew that I wasn't well, but she didn't know how unwell. I, I perceived some you know, bullying going on at work. I didn't want to be at work. It was just yeah. a horrible place to be. Yeah. I had a fuse super short. I didn't want to be at home. I had three little kids, noise and mess and all the rest of it. I had night terrors happening again. I was abusing alcohol, which certainly didn't help any of the above. Yeah. You know, I just, I didn't want to be awake. I didn't want to be asleep i didn't want to be at work and i didn't want to be at home mm. and i just didn't want to be anymore and but i didn't want anyone to know either and yeah. i sure as hell wasn't going to ask for help and and so my my mask of pretending that everything was okay uh was on really super tight yeah. and you know and so when it got to the point where i had my 
where I went to, uh, I went to take my life and, and I collapsed and I couldn't do it. And, and my wife found me convulsing on the ground. Wow. And then she asked me if I wanted her to call Martin or Jeff. Uh, Martin and Jeff are the unit psychologist and the unit doctor. Mm. Um, I had their, their work colleagues. I had their phone numbers in my phone. But up until that point, I would rather die than admit to anybody that I wasn't coping and yeah. that I needed help. And, yeah. and, you know, even Martin and Jeff being psychologists and a doctor who I would bump into every other day at work, mm. they knew I wasn't well, but they had no idea how unwell I was yeah. either. Even though they are trained medical professionals and had been for decades, they didn't know how unwell I was either because of the mask that I had on. Yeah, yeah, and it was obviously buried very deep that you know, trained professionals couldn't even see it. So that's that's a remarkable story that you've got there that you were able to push it down so deep and cover it with that that mask you talk about. So was there a, was there an event or was there a particular time that was the trigger to get help? Was it that that actual moment where you were on the floor and uh, your wife was? Yeah. Yep. And so yeah, what was yeah, the step yeah, that was from there? Well, actually, if to, to be honest, if I if I go back, if I go back about eighteen months earlier. I was in Afghanistan. I was constantly losing my cool. I had a super short fuse. No one, everybody did was ever good enough. And, and I was berating this young officer, which I'm, I'm ashamed to say I did, but I did. Mm. And I realized she wasn't looking at my face anymore. She was looking at my hands. Mm. And I looked down and saw my hands and they were shaking like nuts, like crazy. Mm. And I tried to stop them shaking and I couldn't. And that was actually when I knew the game was up, yep. right? So I'd, I'd yep. been having a few night terrors. I knew I had a super short fuse, but I, and again, I'd been hiding a whole bunch of things yep. at that stage. That's when I knew the game was up. And I actually asked, I did actually put my hand up at that stage and asked to see a psychologist. Yeah. And, yep. and it took about three months before I could finally get to see one, even though I'd actually put my hand up and ask and that's not uncommon with waiting yeah. periods i yeah. mean that was in the army system right but it's yeah. not uncommon in the civilian system with waiting periods to see gp yeah. and then and then yeah. psychologists yeah. but when i did this psychologist and i we just didn't gel at all and it was just it was a, a horrible demeaning experience is how i felt and oh, okay. and indeed at one stage uh, this particular person i think they were trying to have a joke but the joke was completely wrong timing, yeah. wrong delivery in every way, shape and form. Mm. And it was just offensive. And yeah, and I thought, you know, if this is the best the army can do, and this is the best psychology as a science can do, then I'm done. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to bother getting their help anymore. And so from there, I hit the bottle yeah. and avoidance and you know, all these other uh, coping mechanisms mm. to think that I'm just going to do it myself, thanks. So I did ask for help. And because that one psych and I didn't gel, I thought that was it and I'm not going to bother with any others. Of course, what I now know is that psychologists are people too, yeah. counsellors are people too. And just like there's some people at work and your sports team that you don't necessarily gel with, um, it's the yeah. same with psychs. Yep. So yep. It's a chemical reaction. Yeah. So yep. if at first you don't succeed, yep. try, try again yep. until you find one that works. And But yep. at that stage, I, I, I didn't have that wisdom, so to yep. speak. So, yeah, so that started the, the decline, really, that led to my breakdowns, the point where, okay, now, now I have to declare this 
to work. It's you know, it, it, there's no turning up on Monday morning pretending nothing's happened now. Yeah, I, I have to declare this. I am going to be removed from my current position, put on sick leave yeah. for an indeterminate period of time, and and now I have to allow myself to accept whatever comes next. And in all honesty, whatever came next was better than the option I was considering. Yeah. which was killing myself. So I just went, I have no idea what's going to come next, but as long as it's better than that, then mm. okay. Yeah. And uh, and so the journey started for, it took me nine months before I actually got back to work after wow. that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and from all that, what, what have you found as the most effective uh, strategy or remedy that has helped you keep the black dog at, at bay in some way? The simple answer to that is it depends. Yeah. The, the slightly longer answer is there is no single silver bullet. Yep. The slightly longer answer again is the thing that gave me the most amount of freedom in the ability to live with and deal with the, the black dog and anxiety yeah. ultimately was, was multifaceted. But if I was to, if I was forced to condense it down to one word, it would be acceptance. Yeah, and that took me a long, long time to get to because, and it was it was part of it was the second question that coach asked me that I was just telling you about the yep. one who yep. asked me the one question, what am I hiding? Mm. Uh, and when I told her my answer, the second question she asked me was, have I accepted it? Yep. Have I accepted that I contemplated suicide, mental illness, and whatnot? And I was like, no, no way. It's all their fault. They did this to me. This happened and that happened and that wasn't fair and that wasn't right and this should have been done differently and blah, blah, blah. And because to me, if I accepted something, I was complicit in in every way and it was equally my fault. And, And she said, you know, Kevin, what if acceptance has got nothing to do with blame or fault? And acceptance simply means... I don't like it, want it, or condone it. Mm. It just is, it was, it's a historical fact. Yeah. And it's got no more relevance today than the colour of the chair or the colour of the carpet. Wow, that's powerful. Mm. And and I stopped, she just stopped me dead on my tracks. <laughs> and, and and I was silent for I don't know how long, it felt like a year. And I said, you know what, I can work with that. Yeah. I can I can work with that. Mm. And and so started this this complete re-education and reframing in my brain about what acceptance was Mm. and what does that mean and how can I actually accept that these things are historical facts and and it doesn't when I say historical it doesn't mean ancient history right Mm. they they can Mm. they can be historical in the sense that there was something that happened yesterday that's still happening today yeah yeah the relevance of them particularly around blame and shame and guilt is irrelevant and, and yeah, and so I went, you know what, I can work with that. And so, yeah, within a couple of months, I managed to tell 150 people that the other people being in this coaching group and because that was, that was the place I felt safest to do it, right? It wasn't a yep. coaching or a counselling session. It was a business mentoring group. Yep. But the, the amazing thing about that is that after a little while, I managed to come completely full circle and say, I take full responsibility and I accept completely my role in what 
happened with my mental illness mm. and my role and, and what happened with my suicidal ideation and my role and what happened with the way I responded to mm. the way others interacted with me. Mm. And that's not to give anybody a free pass. It's just to say that every piece of communication is a two-way street. Yeah. Every, every interaction is my perception of someone else's perception of me and their perception of my perception of them. And, and so, you know, nothing in this world is real to, without trying to go all matrix um, <laughs> on us, right? But nothing, nothing in this world is real. Everything in this world is only as we perceive it mm. and only as we give meaning to those perceptions. Yep. When, when we're not thinking straight because depression or anxiety are there and, you know, we're worried about what happened yesterday, we're worried yep. about what's going to happen tomorrow, then... We, we we just we lose the ability to have objective perspectives on things and to and to consider multiple different options for what this same event might be or mean mm. and and acceptance to come back to your question acceptance allowed me to own my part acceptance yeah. allowed me to allow others to own their parts without judgment yeah. acceptance allowed allowed me to take complete ownership of my health, my decisions, my choices, and the consequences for all of those things, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, yeah, acceptance, I, I, you know, put right up there with, you know, um, discipline gives freedom. Yeah. Acceptance, acceptance gives freedom yeah. uh, to, to be able to move on. And so, when the black dog comes and rests his head on my shoulder, as he does every now and then, you know, some people say you kick him and do this and do that. Not me. Mm. No way in the world. I stroke his head and I say, G'day, mate. Yeah. Yep. I know. Yep. Good to see you back again. Yeah. Um, you can stay there as long as you want. I'm just letting you know that I know you're there, but I'm not going to feed you today. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to go, if you want to get fed, go somewhere else. But, yeah. uh, but feel free to hang around as long as you want. I see you there, but. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. I'm, I'm getting on with my life. Yeah. And if anything, when I do that, that is then the little spur for me to, okay, because what's, what's not working at the moment? What do I need to adjust yeah. uh, for me to be able to get back on the track? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, that, I just love that. I was just taking down some notes. The, that, that element of ownership and acceptance and acknowledgement, really, those, those three things really have a very powerful effect on we deal with it so that was some wonderful insights there so very grateful for uh, for you opening up then that was great thank you now switching it to the external side of things how do you promote open conversations around this this particular topic of of mental health particularly for men uh within your your personal and maybe your the community that you engage with yeah so there's a couple of different ways that i do that um one is is professionally that what i do these days is get up on stage as a yep. as a professional speaker um and and i use examples from my life good bad and ugly successes and failures in equal measure uh to to be able to show people that a diagnosis does not determine your future and and that there is life after diagnosis and and here's some examples of things i did poorly uh here's some examples of things i did well here are the lessons i learned from each of them and uh, and here's where changes were made and what's possible when you come out the other side and, and what's been really incredible for that is 
I, I, I personally don't use the word vulnerability. You, you will not hear me use that word in one of my presentations. Yeah. And it's not because I don't like the word or whatever else. It's because I just, I just want to be me. And if people perceive that as me being vulnerable and that helps them being able to open up, then I'm 100% okay with that. Mm. If people want to say that I'm courageous or if people want to say that I'm up myself or if people want to say, you know, whatever it is, Mm. I don't really care what word gets used Mm. if it's helping them move forward. And, And the reason I say all of that is because one of the things that's come up a number of times after my presentation. So the first time I spoke about this in that coaching group, there was about 150 people in there, roughly 50-50 men and women, mostly couples. And when I finished talking, I only spoke for about five minutes, I think. I can't actually remember a word I said because I was just bawling my eyes out for the majority of it. I remember the first few words, which were, if I can't say anything else, I just want to say thank you to Megan. And then I launched into it. Mm, mm. A little, a little bit uh, tongue-tied when I when I mention it. But yeah. when I finished, I am not exaggerating. There were guys walking across tables to get to me, to give me a hug. Wow! And and say, man, your story's like mine. I just haven't got the balls to talk about it. Mm. And so many blokes said that to me, mm. and I just went, oh my god, that was just. That was that was apocalyptic for me to 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 be able to get that off my chest. Yeah. Are there really this many other men dealing with this same thing? And and as I've gone on into my professional presentations, I've had a number of men come up to me afterwards and say, "Mate, thank you so much for giving me permission to talk about my divorce." Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I go, and it really caught me off guard the first couple of times. And I actually said, mate, I, I, I didn't talk about divorce. I, I spoke about a wife who never left me. Mm. So I, I'm sorry, I don't, mm. I don't understand. And, and he said just the way you felt that you had to hide it, the way you mm. felt you couldn't talk to people, the way you felt that you, you could, couldn't do this or that. And I went, oh, okay, I get it. They were talking about shame, mm. right? I, I, I realised that after the second or third, and I'm not a, I'm not a quick learner sometimes, um, I can fly helicopters okay, but I'm not, not that fast <laughs> in other areas. Yeah. But, but I realised that they were talking about shame. And when, when it comes to shame, shame feeds on secrecy. Mm. And, you know, Brene Brown is the, the queen of research and being able to put emotions and particularly complicated, complex, traumatic emotions and episodes into beautiful words. Mm. And, but yeah, I realized that that shame feeds on secrecy. Mm. And, and when I, when I looked back, indeed, the day after I spoke about it in that group for the first time, I was so energetically screwed. When I walked out of there, I was yeah. 20 centimeters taller and 20 kilos lighter. Like it was yeah. incredible. The next day I spent 90% of the next day on the floor in the hotel room, just lying on the floor. Yeah. I, I was energetically spent, yeah. absolutely 100% exhausted. Mm. But whilst I was lying there, I said to, I asked Megan, I said, hey, what's the opposite of pride? And she said, well, shame. Mm. 
I went, oh my god, that's it. And so as these as these men were were talking to me about giving them permission to talk about their divorce and shame feeding on secrecy, I realized two things. One is that when the secret is out in the open, by definition, it's not a secret anymore, right? Yeah. And if there's no secret, shame can't feed off it anymore. Mm. So I pretty much in that one instant of me telling that 150 people that, mm. I did immediately feel zero shame anymore. Yep. It was it yep. was it was just vanished, right? Yep. And the other thing I came to realize was that pride and shame, and I initially had this theory about pride and shame from a military perspective, but I've since learned that it is far, far wider. And and from a military perspective, I believe that the military self-selects proud people. And and when you get off the bus at officer training or recruit training or wherever you go, uh, you get off the bus, pride is metaphorically and sometimes physically hammered into you, right? You'll be proud of your country, proud of your unit, proud of your service, proud of your mates. You'll be proud, 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 proud. And don't you dare go jack on your mates. Yeah. Right? To go jack on your mates, to be selfish and leave them out in the cold is the worst thing you can do. It may not seem that way in peacetime, but on the battlefield, it's absolutely that way. And it can absolutely be the difference between life and death. And I realized that we get pumped up, pumped up, pumped up, pumped up, pumped up for pride. And with it being pumped up for pride, shame is the opposite of pride. And another thing about me, I was always a very black and white thinker. And, mm. and, and so therefore the concept of paradox was just not real, not for, completely foreign, not possible, right? Yeah. I since came to realize the paradox was real as well, right? The whole bunch of revelations going on in Kev Humphrey's brain after this collapse and breakdown. And realize, oh my God, so you can't have black and white exist at the same time. You can't have dark and light exist at the same time. And indeed, just like a, so with pride and shame, they both must coexist at the same time if paradox is real. Yeah. So when pride gets keeping getting pumped up, pumped up, pumped up, um, like it does in the military, then the potential for shame keeps getting pumped up, pumped up, pumped up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But no one really talks about the potential for shame. They just talk about how good pride is. Now, don't worry that it's one of the seven deadly sins, right? That's a whole other topic. But, you know, it's just no one talks about the potential for shame. Mm. And when pride gets taken away, basically in an instant, like it does when you've had a breakdown or some other or maybe a divorce or whatever it is, that potential for shame becomes real shame in your mind, in your perception and your perception of everyone else's perception of you. All of a sudden you are full of shame. And, and until you can release the secret on that, it'll keep growing into a bigger and bigger and bigger monster. Mm. So acceptance also, to come back to that, acceptance also taught me to accept that pride and shame sit level pegging at all times, that neither of them are good in many different ways, but they're only bad when you let one yep. get out of control. Yep. And so if you can keep aware that pride and shame are actual level, actually level pegging the whole time and neither of them are good, then you can actually help to keep a lid on it and keep those pride and shame levels way, way down. Yeah. So that if the lid comes off one, the other one's not going to take over. Yeah. And that there's, there's no secrecy there that's going to feed one of them. 
and yeah, so acceptance really helped me to take the sting out of that tail completely, completely. And so, yeah, now I, you know, I like to think that two coins, one with a head up in one hand, a tail up in the other hand, without a head or a tail, either coin is completely valueless, right? They need a head and a tail to be of value, right? They've both got a head and they've both got a tail. But if I put them both together, now the head and the tail are sitting side by side. I'm not a religious man, but now I'm in namaste. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm in now now I'm now I'm in gratitude. Now I'm in now yep. I'm in thanks. Yeah. And uh, and and for me, gratitude is second to acceptance. Yeah. Because I can't get to gratitude unless I've been through acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and with the gratitude comes the ability to look at everything that's going on, good, bad, ugly, yep. and downright disastrous. <laughs> And go, man. I wish that didn't happen, but I'm thankful it did. Yep. Yep. That's... Because now, now it's put me here. Yep. Yep. Now that's it's awesome. Just as you were talking, then I was having some inner revelations, and 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 that was some very powerful stuff there that you're talking around that that element of shame and the secrecy, and that was that was wonderful, mate. Thank you for for sharing that. It's yeah. I, I might have to pay you some money for the counselling session we're having because <laughs> i'm getting a lot out of it actually just as you're, I'll, I'll, you're talking i'll, I'll set, send my credit card details over later <laughs> <mate>. <laughs> no, that was um that was really good i well you don't say vulnerability but being as open i guess is something really important and I've, i'm very grateful that you were, were so open just then so in terms of other men or women out there that may be harboring some of those little elements of of shame as you as you say, how do you how do you encourage them to get that help? Is it obviously acceptance is in there as well? But how do you in your your dealings with people? How do you encourage them to to get that that help that they need? Yeah, and mate, it's it's really it's really you know, whatever works for them. And because we we are, I think, fairly unique. And I think this is one of the issues of why suicide still is such a untamed beast in, in that as much as there are so many similarities you know one of the things with, with suicide as an example talking about mental illness is that mental illness is not the be all and end all to determine whether or not someone with you know, mental illness is going to end up contemplating suicide so many other factors go into it finance relationships yep. you know etc cetera, etc cetera. for me I think it's you know, what works for the individual. Where where have they got connection? And it depends how where where they are on the continuum. You know, mental illness as well is not binary. Right? Yeah, yep. Suicidal ideation is not binary. So where are they on the continuum? Is it something that you know, anybody who says you know just go and do some yoga and a med- couple of meditation sessions and you're right? They're they're all part of a bigger plan and they absolutely have value. Like yep. they have immeasurable value, mm. but they're not the be all and end all, and, and certainly not by themselves yeah and and so it really depends on the individual is it is it connecting with some other people is it some bringing the blinkers off and yeah. some challenging of some meanings that they've given experiences yeah and, and and you know i thought i knew what a plan was for for contemplating suicide i thought i knew what acceptance was i thought i knew what all these things were as a reasonably educated mid 30 year old yeah it turns out my definitions of those things were way off yep. what I thought, but they were the meanings that were controlling the stories gotcha. I was telling myself. Yep. Right? 
So is it that that simply some reframing and re-education is going to be helping to guide them back onto the path? Yep. Is it connection? Is it professional assistance from a counsellor, a psychologist, a GP, whoever it may be? You know, it, it may be a coach, you know, a, a mm. life coach, a yep. business coach, and have a chat about what's going on at work, what's going on at home, which is the chicken and which is the egg, yep. potentially, yep. Um, in, in that dynamic, because one influences the other. And indeed, there's, there's now a number of studies that show that our manager at work has a bigger influence over our mental health than our home life. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a little more nuanced and a little more tailored. So where, where's Nick at? Where's Kevin at? Where's mm. Mary at? Where, where's the best bang for buck going to be? Yeah. To make the the quickest turnaround to get back on the road to wellness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that sounds that sounds really good. So. I guess to wrap things up, how do people get in touch with you? Like, where, what's the best way to, to get in touch with, with you? Yeah. Well, they ring you and um, <laughs> there'll, be, there'll, there'll be a big bat signal that goes into the sky, which will have, which will have all your oh, previous podcast guests respond to the It is so good to see that you've seen my LinkedIn post. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we'll have all previous Nick podcast guests report to the tower yes. immediately. Yes. Um, but, uh, but apart from that, you can find me on, on LinkedIn or Facebook, just, yep. uh, just search my name. Yep. Uh, and you can also look at my website. It's just my name, kevinhumphreys.com.au. Yep. And, uh, and you'll find me there. And you've got the dot .au after the end yep. of it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, mate, that was, that was fantastic. I, like I said before, I certainly got a lot out of it as you were talking, reflecting on my own experience, my own level of shame and previous things that have happened in my life. And that's going to help help me move a little bit forward in one certain area. So, mate, I'm, I'm very grateful for you being able to talk about that today. So very grateful for you coming on today. I can't stop saying the word grateful. Is there any final thoughts that you have that you want to share with the listeners around your journey or around mental health in general or helicopters, um, anything? The only, thing I, the only thing I'll say, and it's much harder done than said. Yep, right. yep. You if go. you don't know what to say, oh, I love it. Yeah. If you don't know, if you don't know what to say, just start talking. Yeah. And if in return you don't know what to say, just start listening. Yeah. Oof. Powerful. Mate, I love it. Well, again, thank you for for coming on today. We'll try and get you into the cash register elevator again. And yeah, certainly love to have you back another time. That'd be great. Love to, mate. Absolutely love to. Thanks for the invite. All right, here it comes. Ding. All right, mate. Thank you very much. See you, Nick. Cheers. Well, there he goes. Bye, Kev. Oof. Love a good helicopter noise. How good was that, folks? I don't think I said grateful enough. <laughs> that was fantastic. Some really good takeaways there with acceptance gratitude as well as that paradox of, of pride and shame there was some very good information there around the secrecy of, of shame which is certainly something that I got a lot out of and will be reflecting on in the next few days and very thankful I said thankful not grateful to Kevin for that so another week is finished so let's start that helicopter up and get on out of here but next week we have an organizational psychologist who is exceptional in his field and will give some really good tips around resilience and, yeah, some good fun there. So let's crank it up. 
and let's go have a great week a great day a great month wherever you are whatever you're doing thank you so much for your support on this show and hope you got something out of it let's go shall we if i could just find the intro there it is thank you everybody bye for now